We offered a general introduction last week to 1 Peter. We're going to offer a little more of a specific introduction this morning, or this afternoon, looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 12. Um, I've been talking to Daniel for several weeks about this series of messages, and it seems like every time I find a verse or read the next verse, I think of a series of messages that could come out of that verse. <coughs> told him, I said, we could be in First Peter from now on and never exhaust its depths, but uh, we're going to try to take a look at this book in chunks and try to take a look at this book in uh, both its doctrinal value as well as its practical and um, uh, just applicatory manner. It mixes so much where the apostle will say, this is the truth that God has given us. Now this is what we do with it. And it starts with this passage that we're going to take a look at this afternoon. If you found First Peter chapter 1, let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. You can follow along with me. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the, at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that to test the genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, or do you, you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you to those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you. <coughs> we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we can read your word and it does not just penetrate our minds, but our hearts, our lives, our actions. And I pray today, that as we begin to take a look at this book, that you would open our hearts and open our minds 
to receive your truth and to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Thank you for the blessed hope that you have caused us to be born again into. Now, Father, I pray that we would be obedient to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Thank you all. I told some of you earlier that I had a call for what seems to be about a hundred years. And regardless of what I take or what I do, it keeps coming back. So uh, I may get to the point where you think I'm going to need CPR in a minute. So far, that's not happened. <coughs> Obviously, if I collapse, do what's necessary. Last week, we introduced this book. And we kind of highlighted three major themes that we're going to see all the way through this book. One is our identity. Second is our new nature as holy before the Lord. And the third one is that we are exiles. And that all the work that God has called us to do, he's called us to do as exiles in our environment, in our own homeland. Today we're going to focus on the first of those things. That of our identity. Our new identity is in Christ, yes, but we're going to see that further it is in the totality of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Peter is writing to Christians, most likely they're Gentile Christians, and we learn from this letter that they are suffering in various forms. <clears throat> At the time of this writing, at the time of Peter's writing this letter, there doesn't appear to be any widespread, nationally sanctioned persecution, like from the Romans or from some of the other governing authorities. Now, we know at different times through church history, that's exactly what happens. But that doesn't appear to be the case. So these Christians are suffering. They're enduring this suffering in a manner that is very localized most likely right down to their communities, maybe even their neighborhoods, or even from families. So much so that when Peter calls them exiles of the dispersion, there in verse 1, he is linking their identity to the Hebrew people when they were taken captive into Babylon. Peter, at the end of this book, will actually call Rome and the Roman culture Babylon making the connection that these people are exiles, but they are exiles in their own homeland. Peter's purpose in the greeting here that we find in verses 1 and 2 is simply a divine reassurance and establishing of the eternal nature of their and our identity with Christ. And he starts with himself. He starts with himself. He says, I, Peter, an apostle. An apostle. And not just an apostle in the general sense of the word, as a messenger coming from some outside authority. He says, I am an apostle specifically of Jesus Christ. My apostleship is from the Lord. Peter walked with Jesus. Ate with Jesus. Peter saw the miracles of Jesus, heard the teaching of Jesus. Peter watched Jesus die on a Roman cross 
Peter witnessed Jesus' resurrection. And Peter specifically was commissioned by Jesus to shepherd God's flock, to feed Jesus' sheep, to tend to his lambs. When Peter speaks as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he speaks, he speaks with the authority of God who through his Holy Spirit has divinely inspired this specific message to these people and to the church of Jesus Christ. So after he identifies himself, he begins to feel a connection. The recipients of this letter, those rejected in their own home communities, Peter identifies them as God's elect. We actually talked a bit about this a little bit in our Bible study time. I know the doctrine of election brings up all sorts of theological anxieties. Sometimes it generates a deep emotional response. But here's what Peter needed the saints in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. This is what he needs the saints all through the ages, even unto now. This is what he needs us to know. Security, the security of our identity is not found in our temporary decisions. It is found in God's eternal plan and God's triune nature. Peter starts with the foreknowledge of God. That word foreknowledge does not mean an no place in Scripture does it mean that God exercised some ability to look through the annals of time and know people based on a decision that we might make or our capacity to choose God. It means that God stands outside of time and anything that God knows, He knows in the eternal present. There is no such thing as past knowledge or future knowledge for God there is this complete knowledge and eternal knowledge in his economy and the eternal now. While this word, foreknowledge, is used in other places in Scripture, the specific word, the Greek word here that's translated foreknowledge, is only used one other place in the New Testament. <clears throat> the only other time it's used is actually in Peter's message the inspired preaching of Peter in Acts chapter 2 when he says in verses 23 and 4 this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you killed you crucified by the hands of lawless men and God raised him up loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by them so when we read that our identity in Christ, we can know that it is God's definite plan and foreknowledge to know us just, it was, just as it was God's definite plan and foreknowledge for lawless men to crucify Jesus <coughs> and then raise him from the dead. We begin to see 
how this plan is worked out in the next phrase. It says, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification has as its root a setting aside for the purpose of holiness. That we are set aside for the purpose of holiness. And it is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who accomplishes this role. This statement is consistent with Jesus' words in John chapter 6, verse 44. <clears throat> no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. The Apostle Paul affirms this in a passage we studied some months ago in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It is by God's eternal foreknowledge that we are elect and it is by the Spirit's sanctification our being set apart for a purpose. But we really can't understand the Spirit's work until we understand for what He sanctifies us unto, what He sets the church aside for holiness to do. Peter tells us that in the rest of this verse. The sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Here we find two aspects of our eternal security. Our divine reassurance that though we are rejected by the world and live as exiles in our own homeland, eternal security by the Son's sprinkling of his blood is for our obedience. Now you'll notice as the passage is read, our obedience is actually couched between the Spirit's sanctification and the Son's shedding of blood and sprinkling of blood for our redemption. Peter offers grace and peace then to people living in trials and suffering because our eternal identity has always been known by God has been established by the Holy Spirit setting us aside for His purpose, which is to obey Christ. And all of this is grounded in the shed blood of Jesus. The picture here is the Old Testament anointing of the high priests. We learn this in Exodus chapter 29. Listen to what Moses, God told Moses, and you shall kill, Exodus 29, 20, 21, you shall kill the ram, take part of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tips of the right ears of his sons, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the great toes of their right feet. Throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar, then... You shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, his son and his sons and his son's garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy. And 
his sons and his sons' garments with him. The New Testament author of Hebrews chapter 9 picks up on this same truth that Peter does when he writes in verse 13 and 14, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more the blood of Christ, through whom the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Our identity is Christ, chosen by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, and cleansed by the Son. <clears throat> but there is a moment when Peter begins to recognize very early that his reader will look at this truth as deeply theological as it is, as beautifully reassuring as it is. We will look at this truth and say, so what? We're suffering now. We're rejected now. We're hurting now. We're lost in our own world now. All of this is wonderful. But so what? Peter answers this question in the next several verses. Specifically, he says that we have been reborn for a new purpose. Look at verses 3 to 9. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, by whom God's or who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith salvation of your souls. Peter answers the so what question by reminding us of our purpose and that purpose starts with praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed means to speak highly of it means to adore. It means to honor. It means to stand in awe. I told some of you this this morning. I love I fear that sometime, I don't know when it was in the past, it may have been even generations ago, but at some point we've lost the ability to stand 
in awe of God. Oh, we sing and we get emotional and we can manipulate our psyche to laugh or cry, but to stand in blessed awe of God. Friends, I fear that's removed from our churches, from our worship, our preaching, our living. We look at God through our circumstances instead of looking at our circumstances through the awe of a blessed God. And so Peter reminds us, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Above everything else, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why stand in awe of him? Why do we stand in awe of him? Because we've been born again. We've been born again. I remember talking with a man many years ago. We were talking about church. He was from a New England state. I asked him if he went to church. He said he did. He even said he went to a Baptist church. But then he said, gave us, gave me a sentence. He talked to me and the guy that was talking to him. I don't think will ever go away. I hope it doesn't. He said, yes, I go to a church. I go to a Baptist church. But then he said, we don't hold too much to that born again stuff. Beloved, there is nothing in the Christian faith that does not start with being born again. And if Jesus says in John 3, 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again is still a controversial issue for many who call themselves Christians and many who call themselves churches. <coughs> because to be born again means that everything and beloved, I mean everything from the old life dies. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <clears throat> the new has come. Being born again, this is the one thing that we can't make up. We can make up or we can fake being filled with or living a spirit-filled life. We can fake doing good works. We can fake going to church and worshiping. We can fake <coughs> praying. We can even fake the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> but we cannot fake being born again. Two reasons. First, is that we are caused to be born again. We don't born again ourselves. Notice the words in verse 3. He has caused us to be born again. Just like you did not cause yourself to be born the first time, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you had nothing with ensuring 
either your conception or your birth. Just like we had nothing to do with being born the first time, you didn't cause yourself to be born a second time, to be born again. <clears throat> that began in the foreknowledge and plan of God. It is precipitated by the Holy Spirit setting you apart, sanctifying you, and is accomplished through the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. <clears throat> Beloved, we can't fake this. You're either born again or you're not. You're either saved or you aren't. You're either a child of God or you're not. So how do we know? And that's the second thing Peter brings out. He says you've been born again to a living hope. A living hope. That hope is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that hope takes us beyond this world. Our hope is in an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. And we think Fort Knox is secure. <clears throat> Our living, though faithfulness is required here, remember, we were, we were sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Christ. So it requires our faithful obedience, but our hope is not in this world. It is in the eschaton. It is in the end times. It's in the end of the age. Our hope is heaven in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. Peter says, for a little while now, our faith is going to be tested. True faith, real faith, faith that is gifted by the grace of God, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you have been saved through faith, is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. That faith is refined and purified like precious gold. <clears throat> Born again means that we are strangers in a strange world. To this world, Christians are the great problem. Martin Lloyd-Jones from a generation ago is attributed with saying, by definition, a Christian should be a problem and an enigma to every person who is not a Christian. Basically, what he is saying is there is that lost people shouldn't know what to do with us. We have hope in a hopeless world. We have life in a lifeless world. We have peace in a peaceless world. <clears throat> we have grace in a violent world. And we worship. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I think the old King James translates that joy unspeakable and full of glory. We worship a God that is an enigma, a mystery to this dark world. 
<coughs> to be born again is the work of God. It's the work of the Father. It's the work of the Son. It's the work of the Spirit. The obedience to Christ is our belief and our repentance. You cannot have belief without repentance, and you cannot have repentance without belief. Everything. Everything. The pain of the past, the trauma of the past, the excuses we bring from the past, everything, the comfort of the present, the confidence in our education or skill, the provision of our careers, everything, the future of our retirement, the raising of our families, the longing we have for rest. Beloved, everything. When we are truly born again, everything becomes new. And our hearts yearn. They groan. They long for the presence of God in whom we stand in awe of, in whom we bless. <clears throat> Our hope is now heavenward and not earthbound. We suffer and we do so with joy, with joy that is unspeakable, with joy that is inexpressible. We suffer with joy that is filled with with glory because we know and we live like we know that the redemption of our souls is at hand. So what? God has given us a new identity. He has given us a new purpose in that identity. And lastly today, I want us to see that he has given us a commission to fulfill. Look at verses 10, 11, and 12. Concerning this salvation, Peter writes, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. <clears throat> we are exiles. We are strangers in this world. Beloved, we are oddballs. And it's supposed to be that. That's the way it should be. And we have a message that will be rejected by most. That message we are to proclaim stands in the tradition of God's people. God's prophets all the way to the beginning of time. God's mission to call out the elect from the world is a mission that began with Abraham and Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. We can mention a whole, bunch, a whole many others. It is lived through the vision of the priests and the tabernacle and the temple. It is exampled on the altar of sacrifice and the day of atonement. It was so wonderful 
God's redemption of God's people is so awe-inspiring that all the angels could do was peer over the walls of heaven, longing, hoping to catch a glimpse of grace. And while angels watched for God's grace, <coughs> the prophets preached God's grace. And Jesus fulfilled and was the fullness of God's grace. And beloved, today we are sanctified by the blood of Jesus into God's grace. The time for the person of Christ has come. We have the full revelation of that, the full revelation of Jesus in our Bibles. We have the fullness of understanding to live in the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and to do so faithfully, though we are tested. Our lives and our voices are now called to join that prophetic choir and proclaim the riches of God's amazing grace. We have nothing new to say. God's given it all to us right here. We preach Jesus and Him crucified and Him resurrected for the gift of forgiveness of sin and the security of eternal life. <clears throat> That's why it's so important. This is why we must know that our preaching is not in vain because it is God who brings new life and new hope as His message the one of grace goes out into a world of suffering. All God has called us to do is repeat what's already been said. The end is coming. It's either by Christ's return or our death. A man named Paul Chitwood, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board, he has reminded us that the greatest problem in the world the greatest problem in the world is not hunger or sickness or political or any number of other struggles that the world is facing. The greatest problem in the world is lostness. Men and women all over the world, all over the nation, all over our state, all over our community, our town, our churches are lost. They have not been born again. And while God has ordained the entirety of salvation for his people, he has also ordained the means through which people overcome lostness, and that is through the preaching of his word. According to the International Mission Board, 157,690 people die every day without Jesus. 6,570 people an hour. So since we've been gathered in this room <coughs> for about two hours now, over 13,000 people have heard Jesus say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Friends, 1 Peter is a call to action for the church. 
not recklessness or progressivism or pragmatism, but to join the eternal plan of God, to be born again to a living hope, to rejoice when our faith is tested, to stand in awe and worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to preach the message of the prophets and the apostles that Jesus died for our sin and rose for our salvation. All we have to do is say what they've already said. <clears throat> and so I ask us today, do you know him? Do you know that you know him? Are you born again to a living hope? Or are you faking it in a dying fear? Are you telling others that God elects, the Spirit sanctifies, and Jesus sprinkles his very own blood to redeem his people we obey by repenting and believing. I pray that the answer to that is yes. I know him. We know him. And we are coming in line with the word of God to proclaim the glories of his grace. I'm going to close today with Psalm 42. Psalm 42. May it be our prayer and our longing for the grace of Christ and God the Father. <coughs> Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, soul so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts, songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, from Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. The roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Day by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him. My salvation. And my God. Father, this afternoon. I pray that we will stand in awe of your presence. The words of our lips would be blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You caused us to be born again to a living hope. From your eternal plan through our redemption by the sanctification of the Spirit and the cleansing of our sin by the blood of Christ, you have called us to a living hope, a hope that is eternally secure. Guarded by you in heaven. And yes, we live in a world where those around us taunt. The psalmist here said, It feels like deadly wounds to my bones. May we, like Peter said, suffer with praise and glory, joy that is unspeakable, filled with your presence. Father, I pray this afternoon, I pray right now, that indeed we know that we know we are born again. <clears throat> that we are not religious, that we are not self-righteous, that we are not pursuing faith on our own power, that we are not faking the fruits of the Spirit or the works of the Spirit or any of the other things, but that indeed we know that you have called us to a living hope. And that is seen through our obedience that begins with repentance and faith. And then, as Jesus said, it continues by loving our neighbor as ourselves loving one another and joining the prophets and the apostles with the proclamation of the good news that Jesus died for our sin and rose for our salvation. Father, if there's one here who does not know you, I would pray today is the day they experience that sanctification of the Spirit and in humility of heart they would obey, repent and believe with the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. I pray, Father, for those who do know you, for those of us who have lost our sense of wonder and awe in your presence, that again our hope would be turned fully, completely, 
and only on you. That to be born again means everything else is gone. And we hold solely to you. Father, as we continue to worship through song, through communion, through the proclamation of our faith, I pray that you continue to speak to our hearts, draw us to you, use us for the advancement of your kingdom, that we would know you and the living hope of being born again that's found only in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.